Bibles, please, to Mark's Gospel, chapter 11. Mark's Gospel, chapter 11. Praise God. It is so good to see all these wonderful, familiar faces and friends of the Lord. Hallelujah. And I thank God for the great work that's being done by your pastor and his wife and you all and what's yet to be done. And I thank God for the courage. We're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. The courage it has taken this body of believers to obey God in shifting in the kingdom order. Very few people, I'm telling you, very few people have that kind of courage. And I tell you, God, uh, you, the horizon is limitless for you. Praise God. Mark chapter 11, are you there? Father, we cast the care of this meeting over onto you. And I ask you for the tongue of the learned, that I may speak a word in season to those that are weary and even those that need to be strengthened. And Lord, I thank you now that the people also will have eyes to see and ears to hear. They'll see and understand and know things that will change their lives forever in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Mark chapter 11, <clears throat> verse 12 it says, and on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee, hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Now what's interesting about this is they saw him pass by it. They heard how he responded to it. But it wasn't until later, until they saw a physical result, that they perceived anything dynamic was happening. Are you listening to me? So even his closest disciples at the moment didn't perceive what was taking place. Jesus walked by this tree and there was an expectation that upon closer look was unfulfilled. There was a way he expected this to turn out because of the appearance of the way it presented itself, which did not turn out the way it was expected to because there was the appearance of leaves but no fruit. And I don't know about you, but... I think every human being, especially people that get a promise of God and have to learn the process about how to walk it out in the kingdom laws of seed time and harvest and how to believe God from amen to there it is and bring it from the unseen to the seen, there are so many times in people's lives where there's an expectation about how it's going to be. And unfortunately, we do not have the wisdom of God in our early walk with God that we do after we... After we experientially walk by faith a number of years and have the pattern and the victories and the trophies of what faith will do, sometimes early on we're tempted to fill in the blanks because we don't realize that a part of what we're doing is certainly faith, but we're really adding to our faith and not adding to it like the Bible says, add to your faith virtue and diligence. And we're actually adding to our faith our own effort to try to help our faith bring it to pass. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? In other words, trying to help God work it out. 
God, it'd be a really good idea if, if uh, I know so-and-so, you know, has one of those, and uh, they've got two of them, they only need one, and, you know, whatever. You understand what I'm saying? Right. It's kind of like the guy years ago down south, there were a couple of guys on the front porch talking, and uh, he asked him, he said, uh, Henry, he said, we're really good friends, right? He said, oh, man, we're the best of friends. He said, as good of friends as we are, if you had a thousand bales of hay, would you give me 500 of them, half of them? He said, oh, you know, as good of friends as we are. If I had a thousand bales of hay, I'd give you 500 of them. He said, man, he said, you sure are a good friend. He said, in fact, he said, Henry, if you had a million dollars, good of friends as we are, would you give me half of it? He said, you know, if I had a million dollars, good of friends as we are, lifetime friends, I'd give you half of it. He said, wow, man, we are good friends, aren't we? He said, Henry, good of friends as we are, if you had two hogs, would you give me one of them? He said, oh, shoot, man, you know I got two hogs. <laughs> now, you know, <laughs> there's, all, there's all kind of people willing to give away what they don't have. Isn't that right? And there's all kind of other people trying to help God figure out how to get to them what they're believing for. And filling in the blanks is not the kingdom way to operate. Amen? The Bible even warns us against it. Now, I'm not talking about a faith project where you know the will of God, where it's your faith only and... By his stripes you were healed and you're believing for healing and that's already an accomplished work at the cross and you believe you receive it and step across the line. But I'm talking about faith projects where often it requires other people's obedience, perception to hear from God. There's a lot of times a delay in people's disobedience or a, a, a delay in our own ability to have wisdom to harvest what we're believing for. There's a lot of variables that come that can often either delay the harvest or create a disappointment in our life. And so many times things don't come about as we expect that they might, even as quickly as they might, by the appearance of what should be that doesn't happen the way we think it ought to be. Does that make sense? And so the bottom line is, is that, uh, you know, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like a guy said to me one time I was uh, in the airport and I happened to be traveling commercial on that particular flight. And so I'd gotten off the airplane and I was on a layover catching another airplane and in between, I went through the terminal. I think I was at Dallas-Fort Worth, but I don't really remember exactly where I was. All I know is I went by a, a Starbucks uh, to, to just pick up a drink. And I was going by, and there was a man standing at the counter, and he had gotten his drink, and he was, you know, doctoring it. So I don't know if he was putting cream in it or sugar or what he was doing. All I know is, is everybody typically walking through the airport is carrying one or two bags. And some of them are carrying one or two bags and a coffee. <laughs> You know how that is. And so consequently, he's, he's turning around, and I've got mine, and I'm waiting on him. And so it's a small bar like this. And so he's turning around, and, I'm, and, I, and I realize, you know, we're, we're kind of in proximity here. And so I moved out of the way. I said, excuse me. I said, um, I didn't mean to get in your way. Am I in your way? And he said, no. He said, you're not in my way. He said, I seem to be in my own way. <laughs> he's trying to maneuver his stuff around. And he said, in fact, I'm really good at that. There are a lot of people that are really good at getting in their own way. 
Isn't that right? I mean, the devil doesn't need a whole lot of help. Because <laughs> there are a lot of people that have self-destructive behavior patterns or whatever, and they, they somehow assume that because of the appearance of the way things are, that there's going to be fruit there when there's only leaves. Because of the way they go about life and what they're, produ what they're doing isn't going to produce the result they're looking for. And the bottom line is, is that there are a lot of people that are in their own way. But then again, we have an adversary. We have an enemy. And here's the thing. God healed us from our dumb mistakes that are in our own way. But thank God he redeemed us from our adversary being too strong for us. And we can move him out of the way. So whether there's a Red Sea in front of you, right? The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, I want to say it's Proverbs 26, 13. You have to check my reference there. But I, I want to say it's Proverbs 26, 13. But he says, the slothful man says, there's a lion in the way. Right? There's a lion in the street. And too many Christians are like that. That very verse. Too many Christians, uh, you know, while you're ministering to them, there's always some reason behind why it's not working for them. You know, when I look at Jesus' ministry, <laughs> and I think about his ministry, and it says, and he healed them all. Surely there had to be somebody there that was unworthy. There had to be somebody in that crowd with some unconfessed sin. There had to be somebody that said, oh, I did this to myself, and I'm going to have to suffer the consequences. Or I'm too old, or I've been in this condition too long. or, But it, it never records where there was one time, not once, in Jesus' whole ministry, that he turned someone away. In fact, he told a parable about excuses. He said, there's a great feast and a banquet. People were bidden to come. One of them said, hey, I bought some oxen. I got to go try them out. He went through three levels. I married a wife. Can't come right now. Whatever, whatever the excuse is, you know, I've got to have my responsibilities. I've got to go tend to my business. I've got to take care of my family. Whatever the excuse is, <laughs> it didn't wash with him. We need to understand that it's the slothful man that automatically has a reaction when the promise of God comes that says, there's some reason why it won't work for me. There's something in the way. And then there are those people that come in the prayer line. There are those people that come in the prayer line and you pray for them. Woo, the anointing hits them. And I mean, their world turns upside down. But before you get out in the street and get home, there's a lion in the street. Something happens to abort it early on. The sower sows the word, and these are those by the wayside where the word is sown, and the fowls of the air come and eat the seed. So there's the enemies lurking in that sense to steal that seed, to abort it before it takes root in your heart. And so the slothful person says there's an enemy, there's a lion in the way, and if there's not some reason why you can't receive it here, after you do receive it, it seems like the slothful person who won't keep what they received, won't walk it out to fullness, said there's some reason later that something happened. This is why it didn't happen. There's a lion in the street. So we need to understand that, that there are people that are in their own way, but then there's an adversary who wants to get in your way. And what I want to minister to you about tonight, by the direction of the Holy Spirit, 
is I want to minister to you about moving things out of the way. Oh, glory to God. How do you move things out of the way? I was in a meeting with some ministers, and uh, in that meeting, the Spirit of God, I was on the front row, and we were in worship. I was prepared to go down another track and preach another, on another subject. And while I was sitting on the front row, or actually standing there, we were worshiping the Lord, the Lord asked me a question. He said, son, I want to ask you a question. Yes, sir. He said, why don't people move things out of their way? And I knew when he asked me that question that there's no need me trying to answer because I don't know. So, I, I, and I also knew he was getting something to me to minister to the people. So he was asking me, son, why don't people move things out of their way? And I sat there a minute thinking if I answer, it's going to be wrong and I will get torpedoed right out of the water. So I might as well just say, I don't know, Lord, why? <laughs> so, so I said, I don't know, Lord, why don't people move things out of their way? And, uh, and the first thing he said to me, and we're going to talk about this, he gave me four, four things, four reasons why people don't move things out of their way that are in the way for them getting accomplished what God told them to do or what God's will is for their life or what the purpose and plan of God is coming to fulfillment. And the very first thing he said to me was this. He said, why don't people move them? And then he, he said, number one, he said, many people don't even perceive that there is anything to be moved. He took me to Mark 11, and he started talking to me about Jesus walking by this fig tree. And how the disciples heard him respond to this fig tree. And they didn't even perceive at that moment that there was even anything that needed to be dealt with by faith. Can you see that? Now, if that had been us, we would have just gone around looking for other trees. Well, there's no fruit here, so we'll go. But Jesus didn't do that. Right? Jesus had an assignment. When you study this passage, in fact, it talks about this starting in verse 11, verse 1, it says, And when they came nigh to Jerusalem, unto Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent forth two of his disciples and said, Go your way into the village. And so he had come in. He spent all day in the temple. He was looking around in that temple all day long. Seeking the mind of God. More than likely fasting. Which is why he was hungry later. Fasting, seeking the mind of God, looking out in the Spirit. And so when you read this passage, he's been in the temple and he's on a mission. So the next day they're going back to the temple and they're passing this tree and he's hungry. The Lord's obviously released him to eat something. So he's going to go and get something to eat and here's the point. The point is that the fig tree is actually something that takes place in the course of going to and from the real assignment. Oh, come on now. The real assignment was to go into that temple and get the mammon spirit out of it. Because he went in there and cast out the money changers and them that sold doves 
And uh, in Matthew's gospel, it says after he did it in Matthew's gospel, then he sat down on the temple steps and they brought him the blind and the halt and the maimed and those that needed healing. And he cast out the devils and restored miracles and healed the sick. So he brought God's power back to the temple. His real assignment was to bring miracles back to the house and there was something in the way. And it was that mammon spirit that was in the way using the temple as a shortcut to do business. Oh, come on now. And valuing whatever that business would produce in their life much more than the power of God to do something money could never buy. And realizing there's a demon spirit involved with this and, God, and, and men by their lack of perception had made God's house, a house of prayer for all nations, a den of thieves. They had stolen the miracle power of the glory of God right from the people. And they didn't even perceive what had done it or how they had done it or why it was gone, and they sure didn't know how to get it back. So here's Jesus. Jesus is walking to see, Lord, what do you want me to do in your house? What do you want me to do with the kingdom? What do you want me to do in the temple? The, the fig tree is an aberration to the story to and from the real assignment. And when Jesus walked by, the Lord asked me one time, he was dealing with me about this because I didn't mean to get into this kind of depth on this side of it, but I'll go ahead and do it because it's in my spirit to do it. The Lord asked me as I was ministering along the lines of dealing with or, or dismantling mammon, the spirit of mammon, he started talking to me about Jesus' teaching in the parable, not parable, actually sermon on the mount. As he talked to me about that sermon, he talked to me about no man can serve two masters. He will love the one and hate the other, or he'll cling to the one and despise the other, hold the one. He said, no man can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, years ago, it dawned on me, Jesus, the king of kings, just personified mammon. He just named the demon spirit that rules this Babylonian system. Now, according to James chapter 3, the wisdom of this world is earthly, sensual, and devilish. And according to Matthew chapter 16, Jesus looked at Peter and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. Are you listening to me? You are an offense unto me because you savor us. That's King James for you're not thinking the thoughts of God. You're thinking like men think. Now, Jesus said that when we think like men think, like the world thinks, that we are influenced, directly influenced in our thinking by demon power. That that wisdom is earthly, it's sensual, it is devilish. So what drives that system, it's not just like, okay, well, we can do it God's way, but, you know, there's three or four ways, and maybe we can do it this way, maybe we can do it that way, and in our mind we're trying to make the decision. What we have to see is that it's not about, well, I can do it this way, and it's okay, and God will bless me, but, I mean, that's kind of that's hard to have to believe God for everything, so I need it now, so... And what we don't realize is going the other way to get it. It's not just about an alternate way to do it. 
It's not just about, well, I know that the preacher lives that way, but, you know, they're called to a higher standard. I understand it. No, 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 no. No, you're a Christian. You're a believer. The just shall live by faith. It's the only thing in your life that's eternal enough to make it past this life. And the only thing that's going to go with you beyond this life are the things you've accomplished or done or received or built by faith. If you've gone to the Babylonian system to build it, I hate to tell you, but it's going to burn up because there's no heavenly value to it that will last through the eternal test because it, it didn't come out of that realm. If we got it out of the Babylonian system, it's demonically inspired, and according to the Scripture, it's doomed to fail and pass away, condemned already. So people that are striving in the Babylonian system are always walking daily under spirit of condemnation because their inner man knows that's not the right way to walk. But they're, they're educated beyond their spirit, their spirit with their mind, and they get under pressure, and Jesus taught about this. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 that if we're serving mammon, he, he, he laid it out. How do I know whether or not I'm serving God or serving mammon? He laid it out there. And he said, well, he said, take no thought for your life. Huh? Right? Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, what you shall put on. And then he says, it's not the life. Now, isn't that interesting that he went from your life to the life? The life is more. The Zoe of God is more than raiment and food. Oh, glory to God. Huh? Now, notice he identifies there then the difference between the way mammon thinks and the way God thinks. God thinks about having access to the life that produced the planet and everything in it, and Jesus resurrected from the dead and forgiveness of my sins, the life source which always was and always will be and forever is in me, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I have a source that will produce the life of God and it will produce everything I need. Or I can operate in my strength for 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, however long, to try to prolong my life which by no means is eternal because the flesh will pass away. Our life is a vapor that appears for a while and like smoke vanishes away and is all temporary. So I can spend all of my energy, all of my time, all of my talent, everything I have, all my spiritual capacity seeking to create an atmosphere whereby I can live for another six months on the earth. Or I can go after the life. And he identifies how that works. So he tells us, consider the fowls of the air. They neither sow nor reap. They don't even gather into barns that your heavenly Father feeds them. And he's contrasting them to us. He's saying if God takes care of the birds, which don't even sow and reap, how much more would he take care of you? How much more would he take care of you who have been given dominion over everything that creeps and crawls and swims and flies and have the ability to produce a harvest by what you sow. Yes. See, he's contrasting the fact that we have the ability to operate laws of the kingdom in sowing and reaping while the earth remains to determine our future. The bird doesn't even have the capacity to determine its future, and God takes care of the bird. But we can have more than just what we need. They don't get, the indication is they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather. Their needs are met. 
The indication is our covenant says we can sow, we can reap, and we can leave an inheritance to our children and our children's children. We can gather. The danger is when we get to a place where we think the abundance of a man's life consists in what he possesses. The danger is when Jesus told the other parable, when he said, be happy, soul, take your ease and eat and drink because I've sown much and I've gathered into barns and I'm plenteous in goods, right? Eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we shall die. And Jesus said, pity that soul, huh, who may be rich in this world but is not rich toward God. He didn't ever say anything about the accumulation. He indicates throughout the Word of God that if you serve Him, you cannot serve Him without being blessed to the point of increase, to have more than what you need and plenty to give away to get the kingdom done and help somebody else. It's impossible to keep the covenant and not increase. But the abundance of our life doesn't consist in what, in the increase. The increase isn't proof that we're serving God. Because people that aren't serving God increase, but they go after the stuff, thinking the stuff is valuable, and the tragedy is they're deceived because they're serving a demon spirit. Whereas for us, the increase is a side benefit, something that comes as a matter of course. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all these things will be added. It comes as a matter of course. Oh, glory to God. For us, because the abundance of what's valuable to us is the fulfillment of the assignment that's on our life from the God who gave us breath. He wants to do so much more than meet our need. And he talks about the way we have to live to do that. And he says, hey, don't fret about it. Consider the lilies of the field. They don't toil, neither do they spin. And notice the phrasing he uses in Matthew 6. Consider how they grow. He didn't say, consider the flowers, and that's a little tender flower here today, and gone tomorrow, and now the Lord take care of you. He said, consider, consider how they grow. He's talking about increase. He's talking about consider their growth. And he says, Solomon. Mm. This is powerful stuff. In all of his glory was not arrayed. Huh? Arrayed. What does that mean, arrayed? Anybody know what the word array means? Clothed. You're arrayed. Let me tell you, no telling what Solomon's clothes looked like. Because when the queen of Sheba saw how his servants were dressed, she fainted. I don't have a clue what Solomon wore. But it was stunning, to say the least. That's right. And Jesus said, even Solomon, in all of his glory, didn't wear clothes like the lily. Why? How come? What's the point? Well, I'm going to help you here. Look at the next verse. Wherefore or therefore, 
If God's so clothed, so we know he's talking about clothing. Right? right? right. If God's so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, means no eternal value. If God so clothes it, how much more? Shall he not much more? Much more. Everybody say much more. Much more. Clothe you, O ye of little what? So what's he putting the value on? What's the most valuable thing here? Your faith is more valuable than all of the clothing and the array and the wealth Solomon accumulated. We have to get a revelation of this. This is much deeper than just don't worry. This is why he says when you back up to a couple of verses, he, he goes back from the grass through Solomon and he says, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Right? The verse above it, he said, which one of you by taking thought could add one cubit to his stature? That is one hour to his lifespan. So we know we're talking about your life. And we know we're talking about fear of death and eating the right things and going the right places and not exposing yourself to certain things and all of that so that we can prolong our life and, and keep... We're talking about all the effort and all the intensity which is not going to produce any eternal result. Do you see that? And so he says, which one of you by worry could add one hour to your life span? So evidently, worry cannot lengthen your life, but it sure can shorten it. Because it doesn't have the spiritual capacity to produce what you really need. Right? Why? Because worry is out of that other system. Worry is a fruit of a demon spirit named mammon who deceives you into thinking that anything you see is worth worrying about. He deceives you into thinking that any natural thing you have, any possession you have, has enough value that you should even think twice about the fact that I've got to get this situated or, or, or God can't do what he promised me. In other words, if, if I can just get that, then I can fulfill the will of God. Hmm? Now what we've done is we've taken that, whatever that is, that thing, and we put it right up there at the same level with God. We've said that thing can keep God from doing what God said. Because now we've put that thing up there, and so we're, we're pursuing the thing, trying to get the thing so we can obey God. Instead of pursuing God, who called us to do it anyway, who will give us the thing to do what he told us to do. Can you see that? And it's a, de it's a deceit. It's subtle. It's a deceitful thing, a deceitful way of thinking. So it takes anything you see and places an inordinate amount of value on it to the degree that you start worrying about it. Because if you can't have it, if you don't have it, if I can't see it, then how am I going to... And it's not just ministers fall into this trap. Well-established ministers fall into this trap. Trying to get things done in such a way so that now we can do what God said. Instead of committing to what God said, whatever the cost. Right. 
Because if you're not the one paying for it, what does it matter how much it costs? If you don't have to have money to purchase it. Oh, come on now. See, when Peter needed to pay taxes, Jesus actually was the one paying taxes because he's the one they came to. He said, don't you pay tribute? And uh, Jesus said to them, well, you know, he, deal, he, deal, he dealt with the inscription thing. Render unto Caesar the things that are, whose, whose inscription and insignia is this? And they said, Caesar's. He said, well, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, unto God the things that are God's. Now, what's the inference? The inference is the inscription and the image are one and the same. So the words and the image are synonymous. If you want to develop the image of God in your heart, get in the Word. That's, that's the inference is whoever's image is on it, stamped on it. Whoever's words are imprinted on it. That's who it belongs to. This must go to Caesar because it has his words and his image. But render to God the things that are God's, which means God gets everything you have. Because you're created in his image and his word made you. Oh, come on. That's the message. Right? And so he looks at Peter and said, uh, okay, they obviously have something in their way from receiving from me. Because they somehow think I haven't paid taxes. And what they don't get is I don't owe any. See the difference in thinking? See, they think he owes taxes. He doesn't owe any. Because it's a different system of government. He was a part of the lineage of David who killed Goliath. And part of the king's reward to David's lineage was that none of his descendants would ever have to pay taxes in Israel ever again. So Jesus said, hey, I'm David's son. I don't owe any taxes. But this other government wants to exact of the kingdom things that doesn't belong to them. Nevertheless, since I'm of a higher government system, I'm called to reach these people, so I, I'm, not, I'm not concerned about that. I'm not fretful over their demand for me to pay taxes, which I don't currently possess. Are you following me here? I'm of a different system, and my assignment is to move out of their way anything that would offend them. Because he said, nevertheless, lest we should offend them. He did it anyway. Never concerned about, well, if I had that money, I could, I could now, I could put that new door in and buy those toys we really need for the nursery, which people have been complaining about. If we had that, it'd really grow the church. And all this ministry money is having to go for taxes. Jesus didn't seem bothered at all that part of the kingdom money went to that government because evidently that wasn't his source. So he tells Peter, go down there and catch a fish. The first fish that comes up, I love the word first. Because you don't say first if there's not a second. 
He didn't say the only fish you're going to catch will have a coin in his mouth. He wasn't after the coin. He was after the fish. Oh. When are we going to believe? When are we going to get to the place where we learn that we need to quit believing for the coin and we need to start believing for the fish? We just flew here to this meeting to obey God and do his kingdom business in an airplane that it took me no coin to purchase. Faith bought it. Oh. It's not sitting out there in the hangar eating with interest and payments while I'm preaching. I'm not serving it. It's serving me. It's part of Jesus' fleet. Glory. And by faith, we have already, by faith, purchased Jesus another jet for his fleet. Because you see, we need to get, we need to understand. Is it all right if I just walk this on out a little bit? Because I'm, I'm feeling pulled to get back over here where I started, and obviously we're going to deal with this. Because the Holy Ghost wants us to learn how to move things out of the way. And some of those things have been in the way a long time. And they've kept us from fulfilling the plan of God. Amen? But let's just go on down this track because this kind of thinking would be something that's in our way. And the reason we know that is because that's exactly what Jesus said to Peter. He said, Peter, out of my way, Satan, get behind me. For you thinking, you're thinking, you're thinking like men. You're not thinking like God thinks. You're think so evidently, our thoughts can get in our own way. The way we think about it. J.B. Phillips' translation of Matthew 16 says this, Peter, you're in my way. You're standing directly in my path. I don't know about you, but I don't want Jesus to be walking down a path and me be facing the opposite direction directly in the way. I sure don't want to grab him by the lapels, like I said Peter did, and rebuke the Lord. You're going the wrong way, Lord. I don't want him to have to say to me, get behind me, Satan. I mean, to Peter's credit, the senior pastor called him the devil and he didn't get offended. <laughs> But I'm going to tell you this, his most, one of his most intimate partners, one of the inner three, one of the board members of Jesus International Ministries Incorporated. Well, now let's get real about this. Somebody that was very, very close, that, you know, the ripple effect could make great impact. Huh? Jesus got it out of the way. He made whatever hard decision he had to make to get out of the way what was in the way that he perceived was driven by demon power even though it was dressed up in the clothes Peter wore. Oh, this is big. And see, when people don't perceive anything's in the way, they'll never move it out of the way. I think about when... <laughs> I think about when... Paul was going to minister 
And the lady followed them many days. These be servants of the Most High God. It said she did this for many days. It sounded right, looked right. There was nothing in the natural that gave the indication that this is a demon spirit in operation here, trying to attach to our ministry. You know, there can be things that look right, sound right, smell right, everybody else thinks it's right, that are the, driven by the wrong spirit. And it's a lack of perception of those things that often will split a church wide open. Because God will speak to a head of a ministry because it's not their ministry. It's Jesus' ministry. And Jesus has every right to tell the pastor to get out of the way satanic hindrance. Even if that's a leader in the church that's causing trouble. Uh, am I helping anybody here at all? And the reason more churches don't get things in order and really fulfill their assignment is because they don't move things out of the way that have kept them for 20 years in the same place. And I'm going to give you four reasons why, but the first one is many times they don't even know there needs to be something moved out of the way. Mm -mm -mm. Glory to God. So this man in spirit Jesus is talking about there in, in Matthew 6, he says, here's, here's, how you, here's how you know whether or not you're serving God or mammon. He said, uh, you don't worry. Worry, care, and fear serve mammon. Faith serves God. And he says three different occasions there in Matthew 6, he says, which of you can add to your stature? Everybody say add. add. Consider the list how they grow. Say grow. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added. Say added. added. Say add. add. Grow. Grow. Added. added. What's he trying to do? He's trying to get you into a, a system of operation that will impact your life with spiritual laws set in motion so that without effort, without strain, without that you can move the things out of the way that try to stop you from growing and fulfilling His plan for your life. And, and the way to do that is there's so many things in our life that really need to be adjusted. And we don't need to get introspective or fearful and, and you know, but we do, we do need to at least have enough perception and insight to begin to realize that if the Word says this is supposed to be happening and it is not happening, there actually is a reason why. And it's not because it's not time or God changed his mind or he's trying to teach us something. We have an enemy. Amen? I'm going to show you a scripture here. Uh, do you guys have the Amplified? Would you bring it up in the Amplified, please? Um, and it is uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Look at this verse. I think it's going to be helpful to you. Notice what it says here. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, and we're going to read Amplified. Let's wait on it for a sec. I want you all to read it with me if you would. Now notice what it says here. Examine. Now the King James says examine yourself whether or not you be in the faith. 
So let me just stop right there before we even read this and let you know that if faith is abstract and not something you can know whether or not you're in faith or not in faith, then he would not tell you to examine and test yourself. Because if faith was such an abstract force, it was not, it's not definable. In other words, you know, if you're just operating by blind faith and I'm, well, I'm just a believing, I'm believing in God, well, I believe it's going to turn out all right. See, if you cannot define whether or not you're actually in faith or you're not in faith, then why would he tell you to examine yourself? You cannot examine and know for sure abstract laws and substances. And there has to be some concrete nature to the law of faith to be able to examine yourself and see whether or not you're in faith. And the inference is, or the implication is, actually the inference would be on our end, the implication is that every person can do this. And when they do this, if they find themselves not in faith, they can correct it. Oh, come on now. You can get back in faith because you realize faith is the thing that both pleases God, that the just shall live by, and is the most valuable thing, right, that God's looking for. Will he find faith on the earth? So if I get out, out of faith, I, I mean, I'm uncovered. The shield of faith quits every fiery dart of the wicked one. I have now drawn back from the very force that's going to move the mountain, which, you know, we'll get to in a few minutes in Mark 11, which you know those scriptures very well, of what Jesus said about what happened to the fig tree. And the point that I'm trying to make is, notice what he says, examine and test and evaluate your own selves to see whether you are holding to your faith and showing the proper fruits of it. Yeah. Test and prove yourselves. Look at the brackets. What does it say? Right. Say that again. Right. Say that again. Right. Now say this out loud. It's not God's fault. It's not God's fault. God is not the one to be examined. Well, maybe it doesn't work. Well, maybe the Word doesn't work. Well, maybe I wasn't taught right. Well, I don't know about this stuff. <laughs> Let me tell you, it's not on the transmission end. The fault is not on God's end. You are not to test or examine Christ. It's not the Word's fault. It's not the sermon's fault. It's not the pastor's fault. Test yourself. See whether or not you're in the faith. Prove your own self. Not Christ. Amen? Not Christ. And of course, he goes on to tell us what would happen. He said, do you not realize yourselves and know thoroughly by an ever-increasing spirit that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless you're counterfeits and disapproved, on trial and rejected. What a powerful statement. So we need to understand that it's not on his end. Now, the Lord said something to me about this. This is where I was when I kind of took that mammon track. I was preaching on dealing with that mammon spirit, dismantling it, exposing it. And the Lord Jesus reminded me that the things that mammon drives you to do is ultimately, and, and by the way, everything, every decision you make in fear, care, and worry is really rooted in one master fear, the fear of death. Now, we know this because which one of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to your lifespan? Why take you thought for your life? 
So you can see clearly it's your life and the preservation of your life or self-preservation that that mammoth spirit feeds on. And so every other fear that comes, the fear of not having enough to wear, or looking right, or what, it's all about you. It's all about self-preservation. It's all about that, you see. In fact, the apostles experienced it. When the storm came up in the ship and the waves were beating in the ship, Jesus was asleep, and you remember the story. Master, what? Don't you care that we are, what they have on the brain? Perishing. Self-preservation. We're going to die here, and he don't care. He's not doing anything. Huh? So what was, real, what was the real issue? They doubted his love for them. Oh, come on now. 1 Peter 5 says you can cast your care over on the Lord because he cares for you. And 1 John chapter 4 tells us we have known and believed the love God has to us. And 1 John 3 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon you that you should be called sons of God. A lot of people don't really have a faith problem. They have a revelation of the love of God problem. They don't, right? Faith is easy when you really believe God loves you. When you really believe that I don't have to care about it, He cares for me. I, I don't have to seek my own clothes, He'll clothe me, just like He does the grass of the field and the fowls of the air. I don't have to seek those things. I don't have to worry about those things. I don't have to fret about those things. I don't even have to go after those things. The creator of those things loves me so much, he created them all richly for me to enjoy. And so it's a, it's a settling issue inside of our heart. And so the disciples proved something. They proved, and I need you to follow me here. They proved because it says that when he rebuked the wind and the sea, and it stilled, it stopped. It says then... They feared exceedingly. You say, why were you afraid? Why are you so afraid? Where's your faith? So we see that faith and fear are opposite forces. And that fear is driven by care. Care is fear in manifestation. Can you see that? <laughs> care is fear in manifestation. And so what's going on with them? Their, their default setting about what they believed about God manifested because they just said above that, don't you care that we perish? So they got perishing on the brain. And now they see him stand up and rebuke the wind and the sea and whoo, the whole world lays down at his command. My God, what manner of man is this? He can rebuke the planet. He's going to kill us next because we were afraid. Because he turns right around and rebukes them. Why were you afraid? You should have done this. And instead of receiving that correction with the love it was issued, to elevate them to believe they could do what he just did. He's trying to communicate to them, I, you're, you're more valuable than the wind. You're more valuable than the boat. You're more valuable than the water. You're more valuable than the fish. You're, you're the thing I love. You're the thing I came for. 
He's trying to say, all you had to do is talk to it, and it would have done for you what it did for me. You created in my image. He's trying to get them to see who they are. But they cannot perceive they could ever be that because they were astonished that he could do it. Much less that they could do it. Why? Because fear and care, mammon had stripped them totally from their identity. Can you see that? And it, yeah, it's huge. Brother John, it's huge. Because now the very word that was meant to elevate them to still the storm next time themselves. They perceived through fear and care as he just rebuked the wind and it quit. And he just rebuked us. We are dead. The sea didn't get us, but God's going to get you. That's exactly what's going on inside of them. Why? Because they're seeing and hearing it through this mammon spirit. And the most amazing thing is they were afraid while the storm was going, more afraid when it was over, which is proof the storm didn't create their fear. See, a lot of people don't think they have any fear because they're not afraid. And what they don't get is when you're afraid is when the fear's in manifestation. And if it wasn't in there, it couldn't manifest. It didn't in Jesus. So the storm didn't produce the fear. It just exposed it. The pressure is never the problem. But it very often will expose the problem. And so many times we respond to the pressure and never fix the problem. And when we don't perceive what the real problem is, we'll never move it out of the way because we don't even perceive it needs to be moved. We're too busy dealing with the circumstances. The tree that has no fruit. Now, here's the point. The point is, Jesus is walking by this tree it has no fruit. Well, he's done this teaching now that we've been discussing here for quite a while about mammon. And he says some of the basic areas that drive people out of the plan is don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Self-preservation. What's going to happen to me if I don't get enough food? I'm going to starve. So now Jesus, the Lord instructed me while I was teaching this. I came to a place where he instructed me. He said, now, son... I want you to study how I reacted every time I was hungry. I'm telling you, it, it really changed my whole perception. It's one of the number one things Satan brought at him. He was fasting. He was hungry. First thing Satan said was, if you be the son of God, command these stones to be made bread. Jesus said, he cut to the heart of the issue, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He instantly reverted to the kingdom system 
every time the world was threatening not to yield to him what he needed to get God's will done. And here in this case, he instantly reverted to his faith. As opposed to the reasoning that I've been fasting, I'm about to go kick some people out of the temple. I need my physical strength to do this. There's no food here. Well, they'll still be there 30 minutes later. So let's go find a tree where there's some food. And what we would have done is run to some other trees looking for something to eat. But Jesus perceived the creation he created, unwilling to yield to him what he needed to do the assignment of God to be in his way. And he never took his focus off the assignment. Because the assignment wasn't the fig tree, it was an aberration on the way to the assignment. Can you see that? So when it wouldn't give him the fruit, he wasn't moved by the appearance that I don't have what I need to have the strength I need to obey God. And he spoke to that thing. No man eat fruit of the hereafter forever and kept on walking. That's the most amazing thing. He didn't run around looking for a bunch more trees. Well, I know the Lord wants me to do this. and They said no, so... Well, I just, well, maybe, maybe, maybe I can go over here and they'll. They wouldn't give me the permit on that corner where God told me to build, so. You see, but you see what we do? How we respond to it? And the key is, God's not, I don't see anywhere in the scripture, nowhere. Now, it does say this in the book of Zechariah that when his hands, when Zerubbabel's hands laid the foundation of the temple, it says his hands will finish it. But what I find interesting about it is God wasn't rejoicing so much that the temple was built as much as he was that he rejoices when the plummet line gets in the hand of Zerubbabel, when the power to do it is in the right hands. <laughs> He wasn't impressed at all with the Tower of Babel. They built a pretty imposing structure. But you can't build a building big enough to impress God. You can't accumulate enough money to impress God. Think about it. He's not going to praise you for the numbers and nickels and man's measurements. But when he tells you to do something and the plummet line comes into your hand to where you're the measuring stick by which he told you to do it and it comes up, he says, who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain. When the things are moved out of the way by the anointing and by faith that were in the way to keep you from doing what God told you to do, it's not the physical doing of it that impresses God. It is the moving the thing out of the way and trusting him and doing it because he said it and this is what I'm assigned to do. Does that make sense? Right. Now, the end result is all these things will be added. You're going to have a building. You're going to have people. You're going to have money. You're going to have equipment. Well, praise God for all that. But that's the fruit, not the root of the value. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So Jesus is talking to him here, and he perceives there's something that needs to be moved, and they don't even perceive it. So the next day they walk by, hey, Master, Something's different. And 
You know, I think about a time that, that Dad Hagen years ago used to go preach in a church and he talked about the fact that he'd pray and he'd fast, he'd believe God, he'd go in there prepared and he'd get behind the podium and it was like somebody dumped a cold bucket of water on him. He just couldn't get anything done, couldn't get any spiritual traction. And he talked about it sometime and there was a friend of his that he preached for us, why he'd go preach for him because it was the pastor there. So uh, one time he came and he'd come annually every year. And so there was a year in between, so he's coming the next year. And one time Dad Hagen comes and he ministers the first night. Pastor didn't say anything to him beforehand. But after he ministered the first night, he said, uh, and so Brother Hagen said, do you notice anything different about the church? And he said, yeah. And now that you mention it, I do. He said, uh, it just seems like there's, there's, there, uh, there's a freedom. I can't. He said, man, the Word of God. He was talking to me. He said, well, he said, I just wondered if you noticed anything different. Let me tell you what happened. And some of y'all know the story. You've heard him tell the story. But the pastor went on a fast because he, could, he perceived that every time he got up in the pulpit, there was just something. Hmm? And he knew it was there and dealt with it every week. Hmm. Something's happening, folks. Can you sense it in the Spirit? I'm convinced that while I'm ministering the Word, <clears throat> there's two things happening. Revelation knowledge is coming unfolding that while you're sitting in those seats, the Holy Spirit is going to reveal to you some things that you need to address and deal with that you never even perceived were an issue, but it's keeping you from, a, from fulfilling what God told you to do. And the second thing I perceive by the Holy Ghost, glory to God, is that while I'm preaching it and your faith is rising, things are being moved. The anointing and the meeting itself is moving things out of your life. Praise God. Whew. Moving things out of the way. Moving things out of the way. Moving things out of the way. Praise the Lord. And that pastor, he said um, to Dad Hagen, he said, uh, I went on a fast. And he fasted for two weeks. On the 14th day of the fast, he was in the church walking around praying. And all of a sudden, it was, he, the rafters, it's like they became exposed. And he said, right above the podium, hanging in the rafters, he saw under the spirit, he saw a demon spirit. And he said it was a baboon-like creature. And he said it was hanging clean to the rafters. And he saw it in the spirit. And he said, you're going to have to come down from there. And he said that demon spirit saw that he saw him. And, uh, and he, he could tell he kind of cringed up like this and he didn't want to come down. So. He said, I said, come down in Jesus' name. And so, reluctantly, you know, he's like this. And finally, he got more forceful. You come down in the name of Jesus. You come down from there in Jesus' name. And he said he turned loose and dropped down from the floor. But he, he looked at him like that because he didn't want to leave. See, he would have climbed right back up there. That demon spirit didn't want to leave. He said, now you get out of here. And he said, and he, said he literally followed him. He walked a few steps and he turned around and looked back. And he'd command him, and he'd go a few more steps and turn around and look back because he, he wanted to stay. And he said he, he followed him all the way out the door, commanded him to get out the door. When the doors opened, actually the, the, the pastor actually opened the door when he walked out, but he said when he walked out the door, because the door didn't open, that demon spirit just went right through it. You know, well, he opened the door and followed him out, and he turned back and looked back one night time. He said, I said, get out of here and get off this property and don't ever come back. Well, at that time, then he ran down the steps and ran across the street. He said he, walked, he watched him as he ran down the, down the sidewalk and into, across the street on the corner, there was a nightclub. 
And that demon spirit ran across, down all the steps, across the street, ran down the street, into that nightclub, and the next night the nightclub burned down. And from that day forward, they never had another issue with hindrance to preaching the Word of God in that pulpit. Now here's a pastor that perceived something needed to be moved, but he was now in the second reason why people don't move it. See, we can get to a place to where we perceive that something needs to be moved, but, but the Lord asked me that night, and he said, why don't, why don't people move things out of their way? And I said, I don't know, Lord, why? He said, well, because in many cases, many people don't even perceive there is anything to be moved. And then he said, when they do perceive it, he said, they don't know what to do about it. There are a lot of people in that situation. They perceive something needs to change, but they just keep on doing the same thing because they don't know what to do about it. And so many times, and we see this throughout the Word of God, Jesus, fortunately, because he resorted to faith, he knew what to do about it. But the disciples saw him doing something about something they didn't even perceive was there. Later, of course, they saw the effect of it, like Brother Hagin coming in and preaching. Wow, it is different around here. And so sometimes, have you ever been in a situation where you perceive something's going on, but you can't put your finger on it? And um, you, this can happen in all sorts of situations. It can happen in a business setting. It can happen in a marriage. It can happen in a family setting. And it most certainly can happen in churches to where there's things going on. Uh, one of the other things Brother Hagin said that blessed me a lot when I learned it, and when I say it blessed me, I mean it doesn't excite you. The information doesn't excite you, but it certainly does enlighten you. And that is, that he said this, he said, the spirits that are in a community, because the people live in that community, if they're not perceptive, if they allow it to, will attach to the people and it'll get in the church. The very spirits that are in the city We'll get in the church. So whatever, whatever's happening many times in the people that we give power to, civil power, authority in our life. Well, now the indication is we can keep that stuff out of the church if we're perceptive. Now, we don't want it to happen in our city. Ever. And I believe we have authority there as well. But for sake of what we're talking about here, no matter what the city does, Daniel lived a very holy, dynamic life that affected whole kingdoms in the middle of an ungodly system. We need to understand that, that we get to the place to where if we, if we perceive something needs to be moved, we have a responsibility then to begin to go to God who's the source of all information. And say, okay, what do I do about this? Master, I'm inquiring of you, what do I say about it? How do I deal with this? Do I attack it in prayer? Do I sow a seed? Do I fast? What, Lord, what do I do? And, you know, that answer, because of certain paradigms of thinking, may kind of be like, have you ever pulled a stump out of the ground? When they're big, they don't come out easy, do they? Sometimes there's a little uh, yanking and chopping and burning and hacking and Sometimes there's a going home, taking a shower, and coming back the next day. And in the kingdom, people don't realize it, but this is what happens. 
Satan doesn't gain power by length of stay. I'm talking about authority. Now listen to me. This is very important to understand. But there is a spiritual law of the dynamics of an atmosphere that's created that allow him operation and traffic. Are you listening to me now? He doesn't gain authority. His authority is stripped. But when you follow the word of God, it's pretty clear that Jesus asked, when he was casting the devil out of that young boy, he asked the father, how long has this been on him? He said, since he was a child. Then he saw the people running together and he cast the devil out of him quick because he wanted to know how long that demon had been there. Why? Well, because it's like anything. If, you, if we walked outside, and I, I really don't know about the landscape on the far side of the building, but there's surely, if not here close by, a place where there would be a large rock involved in the landscape or whatever. And some of you can think about that. Some of it might be your yard or your property. If that rock has been there, you know, a week, you know, you just set it in place, that's one thing. But what happens to it if it's been there 10 years? What happens to it if it's been there 20 years? Have you ever noticed that life has a way when the rains and the wind and the, that, that, that the soil and the climate and everything around it starts forming to the shape of that thing, next thing you know, you've got not only got buildup, you've got a perfect indention in the shape of that boulder that's a place for it to rest. And have you ever noticed that it's much easier to take a boulder that just sat on the ground and push it over? than it is to take one that's been there for 10 years or something. You've got to dig down and get under that thing, pick it up and leverage it until the weight of it finally gets over because if you relax too early, what's it going to do? It's not only going to fall back, where's it going to fall back to? Of course it is because there's an indention, a, 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 a place made for it to fit. This is what happens in people's behavior patterns. Their thinking patterns, their speaking patterns, they come to expect certain things and they learn to cope with it and manage it and live with it all the while thinking that if it's muzzled, they're free. But I think about that old dog, you know, that old farm dog that we'd have in the South where he loved him some leg of a postman, you know, and, and in the heat of the summer, in July, you know, it gets 100 degrees and postman is wearing shorts and he's walking with his postman outfit and his postman bag and he's delivering the mail and there's the farm dog under the porch woo, woo, and you can see it jowls flapping and drool coming you know here's the thing he can bite the postman and if they don't uh, somehow incarcerate the dog <laughs> you know you can put him on a chain by one of the posts of that porch or you can put a muzzle on his you know on his mouth but tomorrow when that postman comes you kept the dog from biting, but you didn't take the bite out of the dog. Right. He's looking at that postman leg, and he's salivating and miserable because <laughs> now he's wanting to bark, and he's biting. But see, this is the way so many Christians are. They don't get the fact that they're actually not free. Now, it's very important to understand that because when there's not a perception that there's anything wrong, there's no urgency to do something to fix it. And while Jesus was teaching in John chapter 8, he said, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And it made them so mad. Why, we're Abraham's seed. We've never been in bondage to any man. So here they are in bondage and don't even know they're in bondage. 
They have the perception that they're automatically free just because they have a covenant. And Jesus makes it clear, the only way you get made free is by continuing in my word mm. and doing what I say. He said, I know you're Abraham's seed, but the problem is you're seeking to kill me and my word has no place in you. Right? Isn't that right? And then he goes on to tell them, if you yield yourself to sin, you become the slaves of sin. The point is, whatever we yield ourselves to, we recognize it and empower it in our lives to go into operation. So there has to be an issue to where there's at least a perception that something needs to change in this situation. That, I don't, that God doesn't expect me or even want me to continue to live with these limits. He wants me to begin to move things out of the way that he wants out of my way. It's not, listen, I'm going to make a statement here that's powerful. I remember recently, just very recently, I was with a well-established elderly minister that is strong. I mean a strong minister. Their child is in the ministry but has taken some paths that really are void of the gospel that we know is the gospel. As I was talking to this individual, I looked at this individual and, uh, and said, you know, I'm praying, I'm believing. They, they did. They said, I'm praying. And I looked at him, and I tell you, I felt it come out of my spirit with force. I looked at him, Brother Willie, I said, there's blood between you and God over this. I mean, this is serious stuff. Jesus didn't die and go to hell just so we could live like everybody with no covenant. There's blood between you and God over this. There's blood between you and God over your freedom. There's blood between you and God over the health of your body and the strength of your future and the fulfillment of his plan for your life. He shed his blood so we wouldn't be like everybody else. Right. Praise God. That's right. Woo! Glory to God. Yeah. And there's blood between me and God over my seed and my seed seed. There's blood between me and God over the church he had me oversee. There's blood between me and God over the fulfillment of the assignment he called me. The creator of the universe called me to do this, and I don't intend to stop short. And I don't intend to get offended at him or anybody else for how long it takes. This life is a moment, a vapor, a wisp of smoke. What's a month? What's a year? What's a decade in the service of eternity? I'm telling you by the Holy Ghost, delay is not denial. And I just, and this doesn't matter. I'm working myself through being completely clear of every thread of disappointment or it didn't turn out like I thought or it should have turned out different or if we should have and maybe we could have if I had a. I'm telling you, if we don't, this is going to be, it's going to steal our faith from us from moving out of the way what's got to be moved out of the way to get done what God told us to do. I'm not going to drive looking in the rearview mirror. I don't know about you, but glory be to God. I believe God is giving us an opportunity to, to allow His Spirit to dig down on the inside of us so that we can look up and perceive that He has a great plan and that plan has a wisdom attached to it. Now, there is blood between you and God over this. Glory to God. And I want to encourage you about this. There is a wisdom that will produce the fullness of what he told you to do. It is there. You can have it. It is available. 
And we need to quit copping out saying, well, I know something needs to be done, but I just don't know what to do about it. When we understand that the first step is perceiving there's something to be moved, that's not enough. We've got to go to God now and say to him very clearly, God, your word says, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of you. You give to all men freely and you will not withhold it. I can come out of this situation perfect and entire and lacking nothing. The scripture he gave me over this was Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. Now, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll put some other scriptures in as we go along the process. But, but this one in particular, he said, uh, Habakkuk said to the people of God, actually, or, or he said to the Lord himself as a prophet of God, he said, I will set me upon my watch. I will stand upon the tower, and I will set upon the watch, and I will wait to see. Isn't that what he said? I think sometimes we get so busy writing the vision down and trying to make it plain that we didn't realize that wasn't the vision. We saw something good and wanted to do it and thought, hey, I can do all things through Christ with strength as me. So I'll do that. No, listen, we need to quit banging our head against the wall and be willing to go back to God and set ourselves upon our watch and stay on the tower and wait to see what he was going to say to us. And the very next verse says, and what I will answer him. There's an anointing here. Verse 1, what I will answer him when I am reproved. The, word, the Hebrew word reprove means, or the word answer, it, it gives the idea of movement. Movement back. Answer means I'm going to make a change. And the whole Hebrew connotation is movement back to the point of departure. I'm going to wait for him to show me where I somewhere departed from the path. We, we had a discussion earlier today, and this would probably be a good place for me to unhook. I can perceive we've gone about as far as I need to go tonight. We had a discussion earlier today. In fact, I want to close with this verse. Go to the book of Matthew, chapter 23. And I want you to look at verse 23. Matthew 23, 23. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Now notice this next phrase. These ought you to have done and not to leave the other undone. Isn't that an interesting statement? You should have done this, but you shouldn't have left the other undone. And I'm absolutely convinced that many people leave things undone in their life because they put improper weight on things that are more valuable to them than they are to God. Does that make sense to you? We have the capacity to do everything he told us to do to do this over here, but not leave this undone. Yeah. 
We have the capacity to get it all done, but not if we put improper weight on things that he doesn't put that weight on. Now, we've taken a portion of the capacity to get this done, and we've put it over here on this that didn't require that. Now, this is left undone because my capacity is designed that when it's in proper order and things are in proper value and I see things clearly, I have enough capacity, enough faith, enough money, enough anointing, enough wisdom, enough endowment, enough understanding, enough authority to do everything you told me to do. Whew. But not if I get skewed and start putting some extra weight on things that are more valuable to me. Well, now, why would I do that? Self-preservation. See, when I get to the place to where it is about what people think about me, and I told them I was going to do this, and if I don't, if I don't get this done, what are they going to think about it? We find ourselves serving the opinions and expectations of others, and we do it by deceit. We don't even realize we're doing it because we impose on ourselves expectations that God doesn't even expect of us. Am I helping anybody? Boy, I want to move some stuff out of the way, don't you? There is an unusual anointing in here. You sense it? And I say to the mountain, move. And I say to the mountain, get out of my way. Glory to God, because I believe. Glory to God. I, I don't believe, I appreciate, I'm very humbled that these ministry gifts would come. I don't believe here by accident. <laughs> With all of my heart, I believe... <laughs> There's some forward progress. Yes. Blazing of a trail, some opening of doors and opportunities, some establishing of new things, an apostolic authority that's coming to move some things out of the way that have held back the body of Christ. Glory to God. Woo! Glory to God. Hallelujah! Woo! Glory to God. Say this. I perceive, I perceive there are some things, are some things that, need to be moved, that need to be moved and I make the choice right now that in this meeting, in this meeting I'm going to see how to move them out of, out of my way in Jesus' name. Woo, glory to God. Now thank Him for it. Hallelujah.